It's time for the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on VolQuest. Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast, presented by our good friends at Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store, focusing on natural products and organic remedies. they got those three locations in East Tennessee to serve you, including the one in Knoxville, uh, just down from uh, the mall there on Kingston Pike. That is at 8018 Kingston Pike. You can always shop them online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. With Ben McKee and Austin Price and Brent Hubs, it's the Mailbag Edition. There's plenty of questions on this Thursday as Tennessee meets the media at SEC Media Day today. Full coverage of that throughout the day today at VolQuest. But for your podcast questions today, we'll start with UT Sportsman 16. Will Brew McCoy be eligible by the ta- time camp starts? And is it realistic that Elijah Herring is a factor at linebacker early in the season? Austin, let's start with Brew. I do not know. No one knows. Um, that's not really in t- it's out of Tennessee's hands at the current moment. Um, but I think he'll go through fall camp, you know, at least the first part of it, you know, like it is. Um, and then absolutely, yes, Elijah Herring can be a factor at linebacker. was told uh, by multiple people on campus that nobody improved more from the beginning of spring practice to the end of spring practice. Um, now part of that is the fact that, you know, true freshman kind of dipping his toe in the pool and, 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 you know, basically was at the bottom floor and could only go up. But at the same time, like, drew a lot of praise from the defensive staff for his ability uh, in spring ball. I, I think, Ben, this is interesting in the fall because a year ago it was slate clean for everybody, regardless of whether you were a freshman or a senior. or I mean, it was complete slate clean. They didn't know anything about you. You didn't know anything about them and kind of go there. So it was very, very easy to see last year a veteran perhaps getting supplanted by someone. Now they've got a year under it, you know what I'm saying? And and it's going to be, to me, fascinating to see is, is both sides of the ball committed to, you know, really opening it up for a young guy to jump in and be a factor at all these positions. Are they going to lean on a veteran guy that they, quote, know after playing with them for a year. I, I think that's an interesting storyline in fall camp. Yeah, and I, I think they'll lean on the veterans, uh, as as you are alluding to. I, I think of Aaron Beasley right off the top of my head. I think Elijah Herring is going to prove to be a really good football player for Tennessee. I just don't know that he's better than Aaron Beasley just yet. And uh, there, there may be some that scoff when, when they hear that, but uh, I, I expect Aaron Beasley to be the starting inside linebacker next to Jeremy Banks come game one. Maybe Jawan Mitchell supplants him. Uh, I would think it would be Jawan Mitchell instead of a youngster like Elijah Herring. So uh, I certainly think that they'll rely on some of these veteran guys that they trust. And we know Willie Martinez is big on trust. Uh, and I talk about Aaron Beasley, Trayvon Flowers, Jalen McCullough, not necessarily fan favorites based off of last year, but I, I expect them to start. Because of that trust, I know everybody's gung-ho about Christian Charles, and, and they should be. I think Christian Charles is going to be a terrific football player, but hard not to, to envision Willie Martinez, Brian Jean-Marie, and, and those coaches leaning on on those type of players. Glenn Ellerby, um, th- does he find trust in, in one of those four freshman offensive linemen coming in? Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, so you're probably going to get Jeremiah Crawford or – Gerald Mincy or, or Dane Davis. And I would even think, even though Gerald Mincy's not a true freshman, 
I would think Dane Davis and, and Jeremiah Crawford have a leg up on him just because they've been here under these coaches a, a year longer than he has. So I, I certainly think that's going to be a storyline that that you really see play out that first month of the season. And then remember after the Florida game last year where the coaches were like, okay, it's kind of clicked and now we know who our go-to players should be, the, the players that we should be playing. I think Alex Golish said that specifically in a media availability last year after that first month of the season. I think you'll see after this first month of the, of the season a transition to maybe some new players if those veterans aren't getting the job done. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback this. I agree with everything Ben just said. Now, like I said, do I think he can be a factor? I'm talking about specifically about Elijah Herring. Yes. But sure. we all know how these coaches are. Like, they they, they like to, to have the vet guy that they know is dependable and reliable, even if he is gets beat. <laughs> I mean, like, that's until until they can play him no more. Like, I so, yes, I agree with what Ben just said. Like, fascinating to watch so many new names whether it be Turntine, Wesley Walker we all talked about you know Christian Charles ad nauseum but like what's Brandon Turner's look like this year what does Kamal Hatton look like this year um so many bodies in the secondary and then at linebacker there are a lot more bodies this year than there were a year ago but coaches fall into kind of you know what to come accustomed to them so you know can will we see any change I'd lean no as far as like starters but I do think that you know by the time Tennessee gets to the month of October you could see some real shifting well and I think here's the other thing too to 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 jump all around this thing in a million ways and and create as much confusion as I can a a year (laughs) a year ago they had no depth they didn't have any choices I mean you're, you're you're basically playing 12, 13 guys on defense is what they ended up playing maybe 15 there was a huge drop off in snap count after about player 14 or 15 when you talk about rotation in the defensive line. With the number of snaps the defense has to play because of the style of offense, the, the question now is because there are more bodies at linebacker, Austin, do they rotate more? There was a lot of rotation in that Bowling Green game last year that kind of was the head-scratcher, right, as as Brian Jean-Marie was trying to figure out, I guess, who he had. But then after that, it really settled into two guys. Now that they've got some more depth, and, and if he has depth he believes in, do they rotate more guys defensively, playing some of those younger guys, maybe not starting, but making them real factors like you're talking about, which they didn't feel comfortable doing a year ago? Yeah, I mean, again, you just kind of go with the track record. Most every coach that's been here, and they just they they love to say we play freshmen, and they do play freshmen, but it's also skewed from the standpoint of do they do they start freshmen? You know, do they play freshman significant snaps? And I think specifically, you know, the secondary, I'll kind of have to see it to believe it. You know, I think that any kind of different variation of safeties besides McCullough and Flowers would be a surprise to me. Um, and then a linebacker, I don't know how BJ will be. I, I don't have enough of a litmus test. And I don't think last year you can judge because they had so few bodies. So, you know, what's he like? Does he is he go with the elder statesman early and then the first time, yeah, okay, I've seen enough of that in there. And let's just see if talent takes over. Maybe he's like that. 
Yep, it's a good point. We don't know because you're right. He he did not have a test, and we don't ha- have a real history of knowing him, whereas Willie Martinez has been here before. Uh, LF Vol wants to know, it seems the early return on Tyree West are, are good, so perhaps Georgia cooling on him was a mistake, and Rodney Garner did a good job staying in the hunt. But given Burley and if Osborne chooses elsewhere, as most anticipate, what are your thoughts on why he has not been able to land an elite interior defensive lineman? Great question. It's a great question. I mean, I, say what you want to about Jeremy Pruitt or Derek Ansley. Those guys have always been able to recruit and coach DBs, right? But yet here, you know, they took Alante, and, and he ends up being a second-round pick, but he was an athlete kind of, you know, in the Pruitt's first signing class. I don't really count him. Like, why did they struggle so much to land DBs? Like, it's very odd to me that, you know, through a year and a half that – Tennessee's not had more success along the defensive line. Um, it's certainly not from a lack of effort. Um, Coach Garner is recruiting as hungry now as he ever has and was out in, you know during the evaluation period, both in January and in the spring, by to see Keldrick Falk and all those kids. They end up picking up other schools over and over again. Now, you know, like David Hobbs, Tennessee might be able to claw back out of that one. Like, they made a mistake. They didn't offer early enough when they should have. Um, you know, but he's now pushed his decision back. He's not going to go August 1st anymore, which to me gives Tennessee more time. Can they get him here next weekend? He's been here as much as he's been anywhere, which is pretty surprising. Um, you know, and and told me on the phone a couple of days ago, you know, ten- I, I really like Tennessee a lot. And then all of a sudden they just kind of went, silent on me for a while until they picked things back up a couple months ago and offered me in the month of June. So, you know, Tennessee may be able to claw back out, you know, out of the hole on that one. But I think if you're Rodney Garner, you have to continue to recruit Keldrick Falk. You have to continue to recruit some of these kids that are picking schools that may or may not have a coaching change over the next six months. I think I I continue to have a, a super simplistic view of this, Brent. Uh, maybe it's a, a tad different type of conversation with Willie Martinez compared to Rodney Garner, but just specifically speaking of Rodney Garner and those specific three names that you mentioned in the question, Austin, where is Hunter Osborne probably going to go to? He's going to Alabama. And, and, and what was the other one? Uh, that Tyree West was going to Georgia, and it took Tennessee – it it took for Tennessee to get Tyree West, Georgia not wanting Tyree West in a way. So when you're competing against Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson, I don't care who you are. I, I mean, Jesus Christ himself would probably even have a hard time getting five-star defensive linemen to come to Tennessee over the, over those three particular schools. Now, the, the ones that are more curious to me are the um, the Tamarion Parkers, uh, TJ Searcy's, who, who are going to Penn State and Florida. When, I mean, James Franklin, what's he really selling right now? I know he has had success at Penn State, but I, I don't think he, he's a huge difference maker compared to Rodney Garner and playing in the SEC. Uh, Florida obviously has a new coach in Billy Napier. Th- those are the more confusing ones to me rather than those particular names that you mentioned uh, in, in the particular question. I, I just think it's really unrealistic, unfortunately, to, to think that Rodney Garner, even Rodney Garner himself, is going to beat out Alabama, Georgia, Clemson right now because of Tennessee's recent success. Because if you put Rodney Garner as the D-line coach at those schools right now, I guarantee you he's landing those players. That's a good point. I I mean, I I think, you know, when you're dealing with those elite guys, I I think it is hard. I mean, you can can recruit 
Austin Hunter Osborne and do everything right. And if Alabama comes calling in the midnight hour, the rule is the rule. Huh? The rule is the rule. That's right. I mean, it's you're not going you're not going to go to the state of Alabama and get guys out of there that Alabama ends up wanting. And it's that's, like Jordan Matthews, Tennessee, Texas, Michigan, top three schools for him. He picks any of those three. If LSU has a good year and. The rule is the rule. Now yep. there are always exceptions to the rule, but but most of the time the rule is the rule, and so that's definitely the case with Hunter Osborne. You know, does a does a workout on a camp day for the coaches? They like him well enough. They miss on the kid uh, Peter Woods. Turn up the heat on Hunter Osborne. One two three. We got a new heavyweight champion of the world, and Hunter Osborne is headed for the Crimson Tide. And it doesn't matter what Rodney Garner does. No. Yeah, you're right. I mean, so, and that's the thing. That's probably the one thing I that fans fans think of it as a fan. Like they, think, oh, why would anybody want to go anywhere but Tennessee? And kids do not think that way. Like, like, like kids think in terms of, and they don't think about like, oh, Tennessee's top ten nationally, uh, historically, and wins. They don't think about any of that stuff. They don't know any of that stuff. Who's won lately? Who's been in the playoff every year? Who's been in the playoff most years? Who's Who, you know, who's putting guys in the first round of the who's draft? Putting guys in the position. first round of the draft. Yeah, I mean, those are things that matter to them. I, I said this before. I had a guy at Sin State, and you know that that trains kids. And a few years ago, he said, and at the time, C.D. Lamb was just getting drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, and he made the comment, you know, the you know, nobody knows who James Lofton is. They kids now think the goat is CD Lamb. Like they live in the moment. They are so caught up in just here and now. Like there are very few kids that even know who Eric Berry was. I mean, that's the thing that fan fan. Yeah, you're as a fan, you think about Eric Berry and the fun returns and all that stuff. But these kids, they really don't know who he is. I mean, he's been out of the game now five, what, five years, six years. These kids were what, middle school hubs? I mean, maybe t- telling elementary school, depending on how old they are as a, but, as a recruit. I mean, when when Eric Berry was playing at Tennessee, I mean. Well, I just been in the my, NFL. Well, I'm, but I'm just saying when he played at Tennessee, my, my son, who's a senior this year, was in the third grade, something like that. Go. I mean, you know, they just, they, they don't, you're right. I mean, that's just, the, that's the world that we live in. So the question becomes, how do you get out of that cycle? You, you need Tyree West to be a big-time player. You know, you need, you need some to, of these guys. You need Darnell Wright to get drafted, go to the right. pros. You need you uh, need some of, the, some of the current guys that are on league rosters to to overachieve and to make plays and so on and so forth. A hundred percent. That's one hundred percent the facts. It's the Rick Barnes and Tony Vitello method: getting guys that didn't that couldn't necessarily go to the Blue Bloods that that were a little bit overlooked and just absolutely developing the mess out of them and turning them into first, second, third-round picks and winning with those guys. That's, that's how Josh Eiffel and his staff is going to have to do it. Yep. that's. I mean, Rick Barnes got five-star players because of Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams. Mm-hmm. Their whole recruiting cycle changed when those guys emerged on the scene, and and that's kind of the way it goes. Um, Lloyd D. Valls wants to know, will Whitehead see more action at running back? He was the best in pass protection and a physical runner and limited carries. 
I think the biggest question is, can he stay healthy, Austin? It's where yep. it starts with me with Lanise Whitehead to, to be a factor in a rotation. He's got to show that he can play, you know, back-to-back weeks and he can practice, you know, complete weeks. He's just a guy who's been riddled with injuries since he's been here. Yeah, that's 100% correct. Um, you know, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see. One of the – either Justin Williams-Thomas or Lanise Whitehead will find their role as – someone who can pass protect slash be that kind of bruiser back to pick up short yardage, in my opinion, in, in, in certain sets, who, who, who determines, you know, who, who excels and takes that role. The, to me, there's a niche for somebody there, but I'm not sure that it's Lenith Whitehead. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody's got to find it and we'll see. I mean, Lenith Whitehead has got to go earn it in fall camp for sure. Um, this class and last class, we appear to be struggling to recruit at the same position on both sides of the ball, running back and true corners. Why do you think that is? Do you think we can still fit, find someone to fill those spots in this class? Are those going to be portal spots again? Do you think the linebackers we have committed are SEC caliber? Is Herring a linebacker or a DN or a kid who will do both? Is that kid from Utah ever going to visit again? Anyone else on the radar at linebacker? We'll start there with this litany of questions. Um, I, I don't know why they've struggled to recruit run, running backs. Um, and they just got Justin Williams Thomas, a four star over Auburn. Yeah, I mean, and he yeah, mentioned um, he mentions that. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, I was just and or corners. Um, you know, as far as far as linebacker, I think Jalen Smith is a, a, a real guy. T Lander, uh, he's just a productive productive player. So. You know, just a football player, you know, I mean, a guy that, you know, is he going to he, – he's one of those program guys, in my opinion. The guy's going to get in here, get bigger, going to develop, smart, um, loves contact. And then as far as, far as Tassili Akana, do not – I don't see him coming back. I don't think – I think there's some real wonder if he's big enough to play in this league. Okay. What spots on both sides of the ball, excluding quarterback, do you think Tennessee is recruiting great at? Oh man, um, you know on on the offensive side of the ball, I, I like what Tennessee has done. Uh, it, well, I will like what Tennessee has done if they land Stanton Ramil. I, I like I like I like Aiden Bustle, another good program guy, guard. Uh, could maybe fly, flash out and play right tackle if they needed him to. Um, I love Sham. I think he's got big time potential. Just long. He's six seven basically, um, and then you know Ramil would be the same. Uh, so I would like what Tennessee's gotten accomplished on the offensive line, um, and then you know I, I think their wide receiver class is sneaky, sneaky productive with one you know providing that Nathan Laycock pulls the trigger on Friday for Tennessee. If I if I could add real quick, sure. Man, I, I just to what AP is saying, I, I I think they're recruiting pretty well at receiver and offensive line when. You combine the last year's class and this year's class, I, I, I really do. Maybe if you're looking at just the recruiting rankings, you, you're not a huge fan, but I think Caleb Webb and, and Squirrel White are, are going to be good players. And, and then you add Cameron Selden to that mix, and uh, who, who knows what other receivers Tennessee may add. I, I think they're making headway there. And same with the offensive line class. I, I agree with what Austin was saying in, in regards to this year's commits, and, and you follow that up after Addison Nichols and 
Uh, maybe you can get a Mo Clipper, Brian Grant, Masai Reddick to to develop the way that you think. And I, I do think that they're recruiting a, a little bit better than maybe you would anticipate if you just looked at the rankings. And, and maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe this is too simplistic of you. I don't think they're ever going to recruit bad at receiver. Maybe they're not going to be the most decorated guys all the time. But with this system and given what it, its track record and what it's been able to do with the, with receivers – if they can find guys who can run, I think they can find guys who can be productive receivers. I, I really do. I, I think that – I don't think they're ever going to recruit bad at receiver, even though it may not be three five-stars at the receiver position. I, I just – I think the system that, – that's just the way the system is going to work. They'll be productive there, even with, quote, lesser-ranked players, because I think they have a specific style of player they want to be a receiver. I think there are some measurables there that may not equate to stars all the time. You know, I love kids that can run. I mean, as you know, point blank. I mean, I heard Josh Heupel tell the story about the Hall kid at Missouri. You know, that's from Memphis. You know, I mean, he may only catch half the balls thrown to him. Now, he, Hype didn't say this. I'm, I'm saying like it was all about speed though. But the kid didn't catch everything that was thrown to him. Is my my take. But it didn't matter if you could run behind everybody every time. You know, you throw enough deep balls, you go catch enough of them, make big plays, and boom. You know, and, so I mean, that's. That, that was his whole thing. The kid could just run. He could just run right by you, you know, Emmanuel Hall. So, um, you know, they like kids that can run. Laycock at 6'2 and 200 pounds can really move for a kid his size. Uh, e. Schaefer, 92, what's your favorite football game day privilege as a member of the media? Um, Ice cream. <laughs> yeah, no. that's awesome. The popcorn. No. Shout out to Rob Lewis. <laughs> no, it's not that. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll say this. I, I I read that question because I don't think people probably truly understand everything we do. For me, I I enjoy being in the stadium on game day before it opens up. No one else is. When no one is there. I like you and know, the ghosts of general. That's exactly else. right. So I get that privilege that. That that would be my biggest privilege. Is I like being I like the, the flip side of that. The quiet after before the, the storm. game. Yeah, and, and I like the the the, the calm of the storm afterwards. Like you like the pizza, the, last... the dust and mine at pizza, and the, <laughs> the media yeah, center. That, yeah, two a.m. No, when like last year after the Ole Miss game, like all that craziness that happened, and then three four hours later, the stadium had completely emptied and it was dark and foggy. It's just kind of it's a, a unique feeling, I guess. It's a big I, it's a big exhale. You know, I don't get to I don't get to do it anymore. But back when I used to um, shoot video highlights, um, being in the middle of the tee, just kind of feeling the energy of the crowd, the team, every the band, everything, kind of a focal point um, as the team runs towards you was always a, a, a neat deal. Just because you could just I mean, like on big games, it just was different. It just sure. hit different. Yeah. Um, Anthron wants to know, will we be trying to take another wide receiver after Laycock in this class, assuming he commits? If so, are there any names out there? If Georgia goes all in on Ricky Gibson, is Tennessee out of that one? Uh, Davian Hobbs, who's in that battle besides Tennessee? And with Rico and Cersei gone, who are the pass rushers left on the board that are not committed? Uh, Aiden Williams, wide receiver from Minneapolis, or Minneapolis, Mississippi. Um, and then Traylon Ray, North Florida Christian. Um, from Gainesville, uh, right? Let's see. Uh, no, North Florida Christian's Tallahassee. That's where that, Constantine Richmond played, right? That, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, Trayvon Hobbs, Tennessee, North Carolina, Alabama. 
Um, if Georgia goes hard on Ricky Gibson, they're waiting to find out about the uh, – there's a defensive back that's going to be committing in the next couple of weeks. He's – I can't remember, name's escaping me. He's a top 30 player. Um, he's down to Ole Miss – or not Ole Miss, I haven't really had problems. Ohio State, uh, Alabama, and Georgia. If he picks Georgia, then I'd say they won't go. If they If he doesn't, then they will. And then I think things would get really hairy with Ricky Gibson. What was his last question? Uh, pass rushers on the left on the board. Um, I think they're pretty much done. I mean, they've got the two Leos. I think the biggest thing is adding defensive tackles. All right. Brooks, 1972. In a recent interview, Mark Stoops mentioned that he might give a majority of his salary to the Kentucky NIL group to help recruiting. I know that he was being – um, facetious because he'd be the first coach to ever give up a penny of his salary. Does the NCAA have a set of guidelines that universities must follow to prevent funny business, or is it simply a case of it's all in a gray area until someone tells them directly that they can't do that? You, you know, I, I I said this three, four, five, six months ago. Um, like I thought that new that coaches that were due for a raise would be better to say, hey. Uh, I'll take the raise, but I'm going to take the million dollar raise that I got, and I'm going to turn give it to my collective, and take care of. And, to, and, and listen, no coach is going to say to make it for recruiting because you're not supposed to do that. They're going to say for my current players, for my current. Because at, at at the end of the day, again, the current players is what matters. Sure, we all know that these discussions are going on in recruiting. Anybody that thinks otherwise is silly. But the facts are, when these players come to town. They go, hey, Hinton Hooker, what kind of deal you got? Hey, Cedric Tillman, what kind of deal you got? Hey, have they taken good care of you here? And the last thing you want to have happen is them go, no, I ain't got nothing. And now all of a sudden, you know, that, that hurts you. You want them to say, yeah, man, they've really taken care of us here at school blank, at Tennessee, at Alabama, at Montana State, wherever we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that what – Coach Stoops is talking about. I know, maybe even if he's being facetious, I mean, like I think that if you can get away with it, then sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Everything's a gray area in NIL right now. I mean, th- think about this this week. You, you got the commissioner getting up at SEC media days to kick things off, talking about national legislation needed and all these things about governing NIL, and then at the same time a third of his league is out there publicly soliciting for fans and donors and boosters to give to NIL. I mean, Mark Stoops stopped short of passing an offer and played out to the Kentucky media people when he was at SEC media day. And that's about the third time he's done it. I mean, Stoops just said, if we don't get it in gear, everything we built here is going to be gone, you know? And um, so it's just kind of interesting that what the commissioner is saying, and I know, I know a lot of that's lip service. Okay. I get that. But what he's saying publicly versus what the schools are saying publicly and privately are two very different things, which I find um, pretty interesting as a storyline for, for the SEC media well, days. You've got you have to you have to go by the rules you're currently playing by, right? So that's what all these schools are doing. Like, hey, it, in its current form, we have to do what's what's legal and go, go, go. And then if, if they pull it back or, or whatever, if they put a little bit of the toothpaste back on the tube or just put the cap back on the tube, so to speak, then you adjust the end. But you, you better be playing by the rules in front of you. If you're trying to play by the imaginary rules that, you know, the commissioner's wanting, you know, you're going to get lapped by people. So, yep. I mean, you know, I, 
I think I think for him, he's got to find a way to, you know, embrace some of this, and yet still try to maybe come up with a better avenue of handling it all. Because I mean, again, it's combination. We talked about this on on Tuesday on the pod. It's combination of transfers and and nil. Period. Yeah. All right. Two baseball questions for you, Ben. Um, Sewell was not mentioned as drafted, and he has another year that he can play. Opinion as if he plays next year for the Vols. Forgive me, I broke the football only rule here. Any chance Camden Sewell's back for Tennessee on the mound? Uh, yes, but he he is trying to to, to figure out what's next for him, and uh, I, I'll leave it at that for now. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think the question that he's got to look at, and I don't want to speak for him because I haven't talked to him, is, you know, if everybody sees him as a starting pitcher in in Major League Baseball, how many starts is he going to get at Tennessee? You know, where would he be potentially in the starting rotation when you look at what Tennessee is is bringing back? I would imagine that's something that he is exploring and is something he's looking at. It's not that he's anti-Tennessee or Tony Vitello. It's just that that's a deep pitching rotation. And, and where do you factor in if everybody wants to see you at the next level, what you can be as a starter? He had the one great start we all know in the, in, in the SEC tournament, but what are his chances of getting in the rotation at Tennessee? I think that's something that he has to look at when he's looking at his future. I'm just speaking out of, completely out of turn. That's just my 25,000 feet view of things. No, I, I think you're spot on. Um, but after talking to him earlier this week, I, I, I don't think that, that is necessarily a, a deciding factor for him okay. uh, as much as people uh, anticipated. And, and that was my assumption as well uh, when, before I spoke to him. So um, that, that was, that that's not factoring into his decision of what is next for him. And I'll also add that the last day to enter the portal was July 1st. So okay. he, he can no longer enter the transfer portal. So if he is to play college baseball next year, it will be at Tennessee. Okay. So the decision is, does he want to play, try to get a, get somewhere and play pro ball, or does he want to play another year of college baseball at Tennessee? That, that's that's yes. the, the storyline with him. Uh, Roba 22, I would like your thoughts on what the baseball defensive lineup would look like next year with all the draft picks and with the catcher from Austin P not coming now. Yeah, real fascinating. Uh, Jack Alexander deciding to, to sign with the Royals kind of out of left field, leaves Tennessee in a hole at the catcher position for uh, a second straight season, especially after Evan Russell is off to, to professional baseball as well. Uh, right now, the options are Jared Dickey, who is working at catcher this offseason, or Charlie Taylor. Uh, they also have uh, Nathan Smith, uh, who, who's working – or Ryan Miller, I'm sorry. I get those two mixed up. Um, but they, they have three options coming back. Uh, and, again, they, they can still add somebody from the portal technically – just don't know how many options there are at this point with school just two, three, four weeks uh, away. Most players have their decisions. And to run through the rest of the positions real quick, uh, Kyle Booker, he's going to be starting somewhere in the outfield. You, you're bringing in four really good outfield prospects. Colby Backus uh, from, from Walter State. Uh, you've got Alex Stanwich coming in, uh, Reese Chapman from Colorado. Those two guys could have been drafted, but their their asking price was, was too high because they were already set – on coming to school and Reese Chapman's already here 
hitting balls off the, the scoreboard in, in summer ball. So uh, Logan Chambers, he could start at third base next year, but it'll probably be Zane Denton, the Alabama transfer, and he's really good defensively. Shortstop is going to be Maui Ahuna, the, the transfer from Kansas. Second base, Christian Moore. First base, Blake Burke. Although I am very curious with those two, they're great hitters. Don't know where they are defensively just yet, so that could be something to keep an eye on, especially when you have a veteran like Logan Steenstra, uh, who, who is pretty solid defensively. Uh, and and then maybe a Kavars Tears, uh, another outfielder who has redshirted last year. He could play right field, could play first base, and, and he just absolutely crushes the ball, has as much power as anybody on the team. So it'll be fascinating. It'll be a completely new lineup. If I'm yep. Tennessee, I'm, I'm rolling with, with Charlie Taylor, son of Jake Taylor. Great Indian, Indian great, great Indian player. Well, that, I, I wish it tra- translated like that. Yeah, he was fascinating in the Mexican league. Oh, Jake was before he got back to Cleveland for one final shot there. Uh, all right, AP, we got just a couple minutes left here. Which quarterbacks are on the top of the board for twenty four? Will Nico scare a twenty four quarterback away? Yeah, I mean, I, I would expect Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee will certainly continue to recruit. You know, like Jaden and some of those guys, the higher end guys, but. Yeah, I mean, I think to a degree, you know, and I know everybody's going to go, well, how does George Georgia do it every year? How does so-and-so do it every year? I, I just think that, you know, he'll 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 scare enough of people away. I think Tennessee would love to have a middle-of-the-road quarterback in the 24 class. Yeah, I think that's more realistic. And then the final question, although it will not be completed at the time of the recording, what do you all think have been the biggest stories and takeaways from SEC Media Days? We've talked about a lot of that. I just wanted to ask that question because I wanted to ask this question. Are you guys surprised that there's no schedule answer yet by the league in terms of number of conference games they want to play moving forward and there's no nothing is set in stone, whether it's going to be pods, whether it's just going to be – you know, what they're going to do. Are you surprised that's still not resolved at this point by the league? No, I'm not, Ben, and here's why. Because I think there's some genuine concern slash, you know, pushback on the different models. So some want this, some want that. And without having – I think if you said 12 – of the teams want this model, I think that's what they'd roll with. But I think there's genuine divide there on what model to roll with, which is why they've kind of taken more of a wait-and-see approach. That's my take anyway. It's yours? Well, it, I mean, we talked about it on, on the Tuesday podcast. I, I just thought that they would announce it because it, it seemed like they were close to announcing something at the spring meetings. I mean, that that's, that was my simplistic way of, of looking at it. But I also wonder, uh, in terms of why it hasn't been announced, adding on to what you were saying, AP, is – Greg Sankey waiting to see if there are many or any other teams added to the SEC. If you add two, three, four more teams, then would it make sense to go ahead and announce something now when, when you could still technically be expanding in the next couple of years? Yeah, I just I think you got a bunch of coaches who that can't that can't agree on anything. And <laughs> as a as a result of that, I don't know if their ADs are gonna go with things. I mean, there's you know, do you hold rivalries together? Rivalries fall apart. Do you play eight games? Do you play nine games? Saban wants to play ten games. Yeah, you, you know, I, I just think there's the coaches are so divided on this thing. I don't know when it's going to get resolved, and I don't know who's going to resolve it. Is Sankey going to step in and say, "Fellas, this is what we're doing," and that's the end of it? Or are the can the coaches come to come some kind of consensus? Because it appears that they have not been able to do so at this point. So we'll see what happens with that moving forward. Um, 
how they factor that in with, with Oklahoma and Texas coming in as well. Uh, lots of stuff out there about that. Tennessee meeting the media uh, today uh, in Atlanta. We'll have full coverage of that. we got the war room coming up. we got more recruiting coming up. Position previews continuing as well. Uh, opponent previews continuing as we get ready to start football. We are uh, a week Sunday away from the start of fall camp. But that's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast presented by Smoky Mountain Organics for Ben McKee and Austin Price. I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your week and have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on VolQuest. 